It was a night like this, 40 million years ago. I lit a cigarette, picked up a monkey skull to go, and I fought the dinosaur, that robot dinosaur. Welcome to Triple Click, where we boom boom the akalaka to boom. This week we're talking about yet another huge new game, the PlayStation's new open-world robot-fighting extravaganza, Horizon Forbidden West. If you've ever dreamed of riding a tame robot velociraptor, I have good news for you. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Shire. Hello. Hi there. It's us. It's us again. Hello, my friends. Wandering through the open worlds of video games. It's really true. It's us. We're just, we're in (laughs) the trenches now. Shooting robot dinosaurs. Oh, gosh. It's just Video Game of Palooza 2022 right now. It really is. It's just me trying to remember which controls are for which video game every time I turn around. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm crouching. I'm jumping. Which I'm, button I'm dodges? Which button uh, slows time? Drinking a health potion when I don't want to be? That's that's what's going on with me. It's really nuts. I wonder how people out there are dealing with it, like trying to decide what to play, especially yeah. if you like have the same, if you have taste in games where you like open world games and you like RPGs and stuff. That is actually going to be an interesting topic that we will talk about on next week's episode, trying to synthesize this whole thing. It's a little teaser for next week. For this week, though, we're talking about yet another huge video game. This is it. We're in the middle of the huge video game month that we've all been waiting for, (laughs) which is very exciting. We're very excited, and uh, we're excited about this show in general. It's an exciting time in a triple-click, in triple-clickdom. So -hmm. thank you all so much to everybody who's a member and makes it possible for us to have these exciting times and share these exciting times together. If you want to support us making this show, if you're listening and you're getting some good video game information from the three of us. You're deciding what to play, maybe. Yeah, if we're helping you make some decisions and you value that, you want to maybe buy us all a coffee, like one coffee for the three of us. You can go. <laughs> like a really we'll big split cup. It. We're good. We yeah, we'll like get a venti, a venti Americano and we'll pass it around. Event, we'll pour it into little cups and, and share in a hygienic way. Go to maximumfund.org slash join. That's how you become a member. And you can support our lovely network and you can support our show. And you also will get bonus episodes that we record every month. Our most recent one was on the wonderful and very, very intense Showtime show, Yellow Jackets. But we have talked about games. We've talked about TV shows. We've talked about just random random stuff. Who knows what we might talk about next, but uh, MaximumFun.org slash join is where you want to go to sign up to become a member, and thanks so much to everyone who is a member. Okay, let's get on with it. We've got yet another huge video game to talk about on this episode, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us a little bit of backstory here before yes. we get into it. Dramatic Kirk intro. <laughs> Horizon Forbidden West is a new PlayStation-exclusive narrative-focused open-world game by the Dutch studio Guerrilla Games. It's a sequel to their 2017 surprise hit Horizon Zero Dawn, which I describe as a surprise only because the brightly colored open world game was such a departure from the studio's previous work on the Killzone series of sci-fi first-person military shooters. In contrast, Horizon Zero Dawn was more of a hybrid of Monster Hunter and The Witcher 3, featuring a massive open world map, loads of spoken dialogue and fleshed out side quests, uncharted-esque third-person platforming, and of course, plenty of intense protracted battles with towering robot dinosaurs. In Forbidden West, players once again take control of Aloy, a young woman making her way in a bizarre post-apocalyptic North America, blooming with strange wildlife and overrun with massive mechanical beasts. Those beasts take familiar forms from massive deer and bears, all the way to straight-up robo-raptors and tech tyrannosauruses. 
Humans, robbed of the generations of knowledge that allowed the development of these technological wonders, have reverted to odd tribal affiliations, often worshipping the machines as gods and basing their group identities on other misunderstood artifacts of the old world. Outcast from a young age, Aloy was always a bit different. As a child, she discovered an old world augmented reality device called a Focus, which allowed her to scan the world around her and learn the truth of what was really going on. This all happened in the first game. At the end of the first game, Aloy had uncovered the story of mankind's downfall, the reason there were so many robot machines everywhere, and the complicated truth of her own destiny. She'd also halted an attempt by the rampaging AI Hades to rise up and destroy all humans, and then, in the Frozen Wilds DLC, she stopped the rogue AI Hephaestus from basically doing the same thing. Even with those AIs out of the way, the world is succumbing to a red blight that, if allowed to grow unchecked, she knows will wipe out all life on Earth. Burdened with that knowledge, Aloy sets off from her home in the ruins of Colorado toward the coast of California into the Forbidden West in search of a cure. So... You can tell that Kirk doesn't write about video games for a living anymore because he has to funnel it into just the podcast. Relishing. This is what he does. Just eventually, the whole podcast will just be like an hour-long review it. of the game. Um, so a few just uh, nuts and bolts, di- disclosures, etc. All three of us have been playing early copies of the game that we received from Sony. I think we're all playing on PlayStation 5. Yes. Maddie has yep. played 15 or so hours. She's up to Aloy's arrival at her home base in the Rockies. Jason's played more like 30 hours. He's up to her arrival in the ruins of San Francisco. I've played for 53 hours. I actually finished the story and a bunch of side stuff, so there's a lot left for me to do, but I finished the whole story. And just a note on spoilers, we're going to be playing it pretty light on spoilers for most of this conversation, then at some point we'll give a warning, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of the specifics of the story, some revelations in the kind of first act. Early stuff, though, just the first act. Yeah, not the ending or anything like that. Just sort of some stuff that you might want to see unspoiled if you haven't uh, played that much of the game yet. All right, let's get into it. Uh, Jason, let's start with you. Uh, I know we've talked about this on the show before, but um, what, do you, what do you think? Yeah, let me give some initial... Well, so first of all, I just want to say, I think I've said this before on the show, but I'll repeat it anyway. Um, you're about Killzone got me thinking um, about this once again. I don't think we give enough credit to Guerrilla Games because there are so many stories about these companies that um, have done something for a while and then try to switch gears and try to do too much stuff at once and it just winds up all falling flat. Like the people who made The Witcher and then The Witcher 2 and then The Witcher 3 switching to from third person fantasy to first person sci-fi and it just kind of falling apart. Mm -hmm. The people who uh, made a bunch of RPGs switching to like an online shooter called Anthem and that Mm -hmm. falling apart like so often that is the story a studio just like completely pivots tries to do something totally new new genre new tools new camera perspective and it just is mediocre Guerrilla Games really just like went from this first person grim dark kill zone series to third person action RPG of Horizon and like right out of the gate they just completely like destroyed it they just killed it yeah it's yeah. a really cool transition especially having played a fair chunk of Killzone Shadowfall which I believe was disappointing sales wise that's the the last one they did before Horizon but did you could see it had these open areas and it had all these ideas and these interesting mechanics that it was a it was like a kind of boring first person shooter but it was like okay so the people who wound up having these ideas for Horizon were having ideas in Killzone as well they had some glimpses mm-hmm. yeah so uh, onto Horizon for Forbidden West um so I love it. I think it rules. Um, it's gorgeous. It still feels great to shoot arrows at robot dinosaurs. Um, I do think that like like for the promises they made ahead of the game and kind of the the um, the idea of like the glide wing and the grappling hook, I expected it to feel a little bit different to kind of traverse around the world. But it feels very much the same as the first one in 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 pretty much every way. Like there's some new skill trees and everything's more 
pretty and the animations are better and everything is just like bigger and better and more gorgeous. But it's still very much like the first one. And I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. But um, I think like when I'm thinking about like the games of this year and the innovative gameplay experiences or like new, new things that I got to see and experience, this won't be one of them because this is just like more Aloy. And man, I love having more Aloy because it's fun as hell. I mentioned this last week about in my one more thing, um, that feeling where I think you bleeped it out where uh, I was going around and shooting that one specific robot in a big arena and just like <laughs> the ten- Tension of like of like planting traps and running around and dodging and it's just so good. It's like so well executed. Um, so yeah, I think it rules. Um, one thing we can get into this later, but I I don't really care that much about the story, but we can get into the whys of that later. But overall, I think it rules. Nice, Maddie. We haven't heard from you as much about this game. What do you think of it so far? I also find it very enjoyable for exactly the same reasons as I did the first game, Mm -hmm. but it does feel in a lot of places stronger to me, especially for my play style, which I really appreciate. I know just from uh, the interviews the developers have done that they've really thought about like players complaining that stealth wasn't very good in the first game. They've really polished that up. I feel like it's a lot more satisfying now. You can do some Assassin's Creed style insta-kills of people if you sneak up on them properly. You're fighting human combatants sometimes, so you sometimes actually need to do that. But you can also be very clever uh, about fighting in a variety of ways, which I really like. Um, I think I I talked before about how often I use the melee weapon in this game, the spear that Aloy has, which is sort of an untraditional way to play compared to most other people who seem to rely a lot on the sort of ranged rogue archer experience that is just never a character class I choose in anything. I always want to be a tank. So all of my upgrades are related to tanking. I love that the melee weapon has unlockable combos and it's like very fighting game and they're kind of silly and don't quite feel like they work in this game, but I don't care because I'm having a lot of fun with them and really just enjoying that they've included that for players like me who don't really like uh, just being a, a rogue. And so just the fact that they've included all those different skill trees is super fun and has made combat a lot more interesting to me personally, even though, and that's saying something because I already really enjoyed it a lot. I already thought it was really strong in the first game. But um, like Jason, I sort of struggled with the story. I, I won't reveal what it is, but there are some act one reveals that helped me a lot, like grounded me a lot and made me more invested. But up to that point, I was struggling. It's to say nothing of um, Ashley Birch's performance as Aloy. I think she's incredible. I think that Aloy as a character has become a lot more complicated. She's kind of grumpy in this game with very Mm -hmm. good reason most of the time. And I think that's fun to see. I like her being challenged by other people and seeing that play out. But I do think that this game... It has some problems that I guess we can get to when we talk about the story, but just to kind of keep it broad, I would say that the strongest parts of the game and the parts that make it absolutely worth it are just that the combat is so incredibly fun and this game is flipping gorgeous. Like you could just take screenshot after screenshot and swimming looks amazing. You can swim underwater and the light is beautiful and just... I don't know. It looks freaking great on the PS5, folks. It feels like a tech demo, except that it's an entire game. And it's moi, chef's kiss. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I really like it. I really liked it overall. I think I actually really 
do like the story in Taken in Total. And I like it in part because... Well, you've beaten it, so you have an advantage yes, over us Yes, I do a little bit. Um, and I'll be curious what the two of you think once you finish it. It's not the kind of thing where when you get to the end, it's like, oh, okay, I see what they were going for. Um, it's not like uh, Station Eleven, for, <laughs> to pick a recent example, where I got sure. to the end and was like, oh, all right, now I like, I'm glad I stuck with that story. It is like, you know, it develops as it goes, but it reaches a point about halfway through where I was just really I really there were a lot of characters I really liked there are a couple of really wonderful story segments one in the desert it's the Poseidon segment it's just this delightful really well done thing you can almost tr- take it as a vertical slice at a narrative design seminar or something and just be like this is how you do it this is how you introduce great NBCs and like a really fun contained story with a killer story payoff and like fun exploration and the whole thing that plays out in the course of like 90 minutes and the game does that enough times that it's really impressive like i found that as much as i was having fun with the combat and you know the sort of fleshed out stuff i do like all the new melee you know, the mm-hmm. melee moves they give you, they turn you into a little bit more of a well-rounded kind of yes, character. if you want to be, yeah. Or you can really specialize if you want, too, which is cool. Eventually, you'll unlock every... Like, I just have every single upgrade unlocked. It's very generous with upgrade points, so you don't really have to, like, pick a build exactly. But with your weapons, you kind of can pick a specialization. And one cool thing it does that I've never... I haven't quite mastered, so maybe this is a mark against it, is if you hit an enemy a bunch of times, you charge up your staff, and then you mm-hmm. hit him with a charged staff, and it puts this, like glowing weak point on them that then if you shoot it with your bow it explodes which yeah. is such an amazing idea that I've just it's the best <laughs> but I can't quite I can never quite stick the thing on the way I want to even though I've played so much so that might be a me problem but it might be a little too complicated does that work on robots I've only used that on humans does it work on robots too it does yeah oh yeah, yeah. No, and there have actually been a couple fights where I happen to stick one onto a big robot right at the end of its health bar and like kill it by hitting that thing and it blows up and it's very satisfying nice. Um, But just to complete my sort of overall uh, impressions, I really like the characters and the acting in this game. I agree that Aloy is quite prickly at the beginning of the game. And it even says in my notes, (laughs) it says, is Aloy kind of an asshole for not just showing people her focus and explaining what's going on? And I wrote that like when I was an hour in. And then I have this. Yeah, but then she does. But then she does. That's the whole. Well, I have this very funny rejoinder to myself that especially by the end of the game, I mean, that is the story of the game is like Aloy realizing that (laughs) she needs to let people in and, and like help sort of enlighten her friends. And Aloy herself has that moment, I think, along with you, the player, like yes. as she's getting frustrated with Varl at first and and like the first guy who's uh, hanging about and like asking her all these questions about the nature of the world and the robots and so on. And then she sort of opens up everyone's eyes by giving them all smartphones, which I'd, I don't know about that as a lesson, but hey, <laughs> it's, it's what Horizon is, is well, doing. Well, it's smartphones and it's also access to Wikipedia. And if you yes. had never learned a single thing about the world and suddenly you could just read yes. the history of everything. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of that in this game. And that's the thing I like about it is ultimately it's a game that is a huge budget. I mean, the amount of acting, the amount of writing, the amount of performance capture is just bananas. Every single NPC conversation, as far as I can tell, is like bespoke in terms of animation and performance. So it's, and a lot of the acting is good. I mean, it's like 90% good acting, even incidental characters. So it's just all this writing and all this storytelling and, and it's so fun. It's such a like inventive, funky world, this robot world that was invented by this machine algorithm. It's the kind of thing that like 
compared to so many other games that are like big man stories or dad stories or sad feeling stories. This has a lot of emotion, but it's more like like a really high budget kind of TV series. Like it just has this great energy. I'm like this. I'd love to see more games with this kind of polish and budget um, thrown at that kind of thing. Just I really like it. I do actually like the story and the characters quite a bit overall. Mm -hmm. And I know you're recommending all the side quests, so I've been playing those too. And there are some side quests that despite this, like a, this is a hot tip for all you gamers out there, just because they're called side quests doesn't mean you shouldn't still do them. And uh, specifically the quests that are labeled side quests, because there are roughly yes. six billion other categories of side quests that are called like <laughs> contracts and errands and just Errands, I, or, yeah. the fact that the menu divides each of these different types of story chunk into different titles is deeply overwhelming to look at from a player perspective but it's useful because you know you don't have to do the errands as much as the side right quest. you don't you don't have to do anything so yes it's the main story missions are obviously the main story but story like or side quests mm -hmm. as they're marked side missions those basically are story missions because they they're for like major characters and they really flesh out the and world reveal a lot of information and backstory about yeah. the main quest to the point where I was surprised that they weren't marked as main quest points yeah. at, at various stages in the, in the first 15 hours that I've played. There are some that feel main. And errands are basically what would be called a side quest. That's yes. really just you meet someone and they want you to get some flowers. And it winds up being a cool little story, but it's like more standalone and less related to the main story. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So here's kind of the problem. I've been trying to put a finger on why the story isn't doing it for me and why I keep bouncing off and, and like wanting to skip dialogue and stuff. And I think it's a couple of things. And I think the biggest one is that there's just too many different like disparate fragments. And to your point, Kirk, like you have all these little short stories and stuff, which are awesome and I also really dug that Poseidon thing and it's especially like it's such a showcase for like the new motion capture and animation and how amazing yeah. everything is done um, but like you'll go 10 hours without even hearing from Silence and then it'll be like oh yeah Silence is in this game or like you'll get back to base and you'll have 10 characters waiting for you there there are so many different plot threads all happening at once and it is just so hard mm. to connect with with most of them for me, it was just very difficult for me to like actually care um, about all of these characters who are hanging out in your base because they did, the game does this Mass Effect style thing where you have this base and you can keep having conversations with people. And I don't remember who half of them are. Um, the other half like have just the most boring personalities imaginable that I'm just like, man, I really hmm. just am so totally, I want to just go out and shoot robot dinosaurs. And usually when it comes <laughs> to games, I'm like a story first person. But in this game, I just have so little interest in this story maybe because there's no real mystery and tension the way there was in the first game where it's like the mystery of this world and so maybe there's just nothing there for me um, but even to me like the stuff um, that that we kind of got to with the first act break even that stuff isn't just just has not compelled me enough to make me want to feel like oh man I have to see this story through because it just feels so all over the place for me mm -hmm. I mean what's hard about it and I, I talked about this a bit when I was playing the first game uh, with you guys the first time around, uh, is that what's so great about that game, and I would say also for Britain West, is the parts of it that are about our world, the world we know. Mm -hmm. Because those pieces of it are naturally grounded for all of us. Like we can recognize like the Elon Musk tendencies of Ted Farrow, who's the villain, but he's a villain in the past. He's already long dead, and we know that as soon as we ever hear about him. Like that's not 
a big reveal. It's like, oh, he's way, way in the past and he's this inventor. And we already know that he's like a narcissist who, a megalomaniac, I guess I should say. And like that villainy is something we can recognize in our own lives as compared to having to learn from the ground up, like, okay, here's the Sun King, here's the Sundom, here's all of their lengthy politics. That's all completely invented for the game. It continues in Forbidden West. Here's this other tribe, the Uturu, I think, is one of them. And, like, mm, here's and the all Tanakh. of their politics. It's like the Tanakh. Yeah, like, you're starting from zero with all of those. And, yes, when you get to know individual characters, there's some that I like and that I, I'm excited to get to know more as the game goes along. But it it's not... It's it, you have no no groundwork, and I feel like part of that is because this game is created in such a way that every single person in this world has no knowledge of our world. Like they're learning about it as though it's unfamiliar to them, and like that's funny to us. But they've created their own entire other world that's wildly unfamiliar to us, the player, and that can be kind of weird to enter into. Like I experience that a lot where I'm playing this, where I'm like. This isn't like anything I've ever known. And I'm not sure people would act like this. And But I have no way of proving that because this is a complete fictional society based on a situation that's never happened to humans. So I have no way of knowing how anybody would react. And that means that I, when I sometimes have criticisms where I'm like, well, would people really do this? I like don't know if it's fair or not. Like I, I ran into that a lot with the first game too, where I was like, would people worship machines like they're a religion or not? And that happens a lot in Forbidden West, too, where I'm like, there really aren't any more scientist characters. Like, why are there so many characters who are so religious and so traditional? But I don't know. I haven't beaten the game yet. So maybe there's going to be more scientist characters later on. There are. I mean, some highlights of the story involve characters who aren't just like warriors or politicians. Like there are characters who are artists and who are mm -hmm. scientists. And there is there are wrinkles introduced to the paradigm as it stands. I think that it was an interesting challenge that they had, that the first game had this great mystery, this great trick that it pulled, where it revealed who Aloy was, what happened, why the world ended, why the machines were here, and it answered all those questions in this really satisfying way that was so surprising and tied everything together, even while the weakest part of it was in the first game, certainly the, like, Sundom politics mm -hmm. and the new, you know, whatever, like, leader of that Avad. kingdom trying to make up for the atrocities and of the errand. past. And it was all a little... Like, who really cares? I'm way more interested in the end of the world and the robots eating a, a pack of dolphins or whatever it was, yeah. that, one, that one incredible audio log that you listened to in the first game. I think overall that they did a way better job of focusing the story in the present day than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. That's in part because they just really go for it over and over again with, like, introducing new ideas and new concepts and, like, new groups of people. And, like, they really, like, are, are experimenting with new ideas in a way that's like, we're not just going to do what the first game did in the present day without a past storyline to back it up. Yep. I think the characters, I don't agree, Jason, um, with like I or I don't feel the same way, I suppose, about the characters in your base, particularly. I really came to like all of them. There's a ton of dialogue with them, and it is like there is a lot of just sitting there watching people talk in this game, which isn't the most engaging thing in the world. But I really just sort of enjoyed the writing and kind of 
liked it. Like, I, I came to think of them all as characters. So I, I did come to like them. I think maybe I'm just not in the headspace when I play this game for that sort of game. Like, when, yeah. when I play something like Disco Elysium or, like, Divinity Original Sin 2, I'm willing to, like, sit through reams of dialogue and, like, actually inv- make an investment and care about these characters. But I don't know. Something about this game just doesn't make me care. I, maybe it's... I, I don't know what it is. I have no idea. Maybe the combat it's just, is too good. It's just that you want to well, keep Well, that's fighting. the thing, Maddie. No, it really is. It's like, as I'm talking to people, I'm just like, skip, skip, skip. I just want to go shoot more robot dinosaurs. Mm, I kind of get that. <laughs> right, like the like the problem in Mass Effect 2 would have been if Mass Effect 2 was more fun, yeah, you would have been exactly. like, I don't... But it's like Mass Effect isn't that fun, so you're okay with just talking to Garrus for six exactly. hours. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Like, where if, but I think there's something also to what you were saying, Maddie. I think the world building in this game is really interesting because it's so entirely artificial. Yeah. Because the world is artificial. There has to be a term for this in like writing workshops where you create a fictional world that is itself artificial. The Matrix is an example of this, Mm -hmm. and this is an example where this world was completely wiped out, and then these AI subroutines and Gaia, this AI program, like repopulated the Earth and terraformed the whole thing, and everything in it is a result of like slightly malfunctioning computers. So because of that, the whole world is crazy. Like there's just like the same raccoon over and over again, like everywhere. (laughs) But that's because the raccoons are like 3D printed raccoons that some robot is just like making. Yeah, they're all clones. It's like almost everything is a clone of something that came before from this sort of Noah's Ark scenario. And it's also like in addition to that, all of the, the humans walking around each have different pieces of information. Like you'll find a society where people have one kind of relationship with the machines based on the machines in their area and how they behave and then you like find another one where they feel completely differently or use them in a different way and like that informs everything about how they live and they're like no we're experts in these machines and like how dare you Aloy claim that you know more than we do about this and that's that's fascinating too to like as a creative writing idea of just having to make up whole cloth entire societies that have literally no influence from any societies that we know at all or they're not supposed to anyway you know, and I would say like there is a kind of shallowness as a result to each of these individual cultures that you meet because they're kind of like each one of them is it's like a single biome planet yeah. in No Man's Sky. Like each one of them is like a single idea culture, right? Yeah, like, like all the all the forge metal workers all say by the forge and their god is a forge basically yeah, and, and they like, like beer and they like forging. They well, love the, forging. <laughs> the Tanakhs are really a really funny one. There's like an actually a kind of an amazing joke at the heart of Tanakh cultural identity that I won't spoil because it's like a thing you learn in the story. And if you're not paying attention, you can kind of just, it can kind of pass you by. But once you get a sense for like what they mean when they talk about the 10 and like their whole sort of religion, it's it's a trip. It's like a really weird idea, you know, interesting to play with, but it all has this kind of Lego blocks of people feeling. And it, I think this game gets away with it, and it's because this whole world is artificial and everything in it is artificial. And I also think that because the performances are good enough, like because the actors are good and the writing is good, it gets away from how it feels, it felt to me at the beginning, where like Aloy almost is like a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. Like she feels, (laughs) she's like the one rational thinking modern human being. Mm among these just these like comically ridiculous people who are all wearing these costumes that just look ridiculous and like yeah and she's like this is my boomstick and they're all the peasants are staring at her dumbfounded yes yes, yes. it has big army of darkness energy so <laughs> that goes away over the course of the game and eventually she really has like made serious like relationships and friendships with all of these people it comes through enough to make me just go with it like the fact that this world is so kind of artificial on that 
on that level. Mm-hmm. I think to that point, by the way, it has made me uncomfortable that um, Aloy is this like white hero coming in and so many of the characters who need her help are black and it's just like white savior one after that. I am by no means an expert on like talking about race and critiquing race, but like I just really like, it feels like it's hammered over the head. Like, hello, Aloy, white woman who is a superhero. Here are some black people who need saving. And just that, that felt so weird to me. And Aloy played by a woman who is half Asian herself. So like, I'm always thinking about that in those white savior moments. The character is not. character is no i know i know i mean it's like it still looks the way that it looks the other piece of that jason that i mean i talked about this with zero dawn too just the way that religion is portrayed in this game is also similar to me where it's like there is an amazing atheist youtube video vibe to some of aloy's monologues that like i do still find funny but but it makes me feel a little bit oily as an atheist to play the game because it's so indulgent like it absolutely indulges in like a specific fantasy of like no let me just prove it to you okay science is real let me like just give you this little magical device and as soon as you spend eight hours with it you're gonna realize i'm right and like the other characters like not all of them have that experience some of them really dislike aloy and that's always refreshing to me but there are Richard characters Dawkins who is playing this yeah <laughs> yeah and <laughs> Aloy gets really mad when she has to transport a little bottle of honey and it like gets really weird on on twitter um but that's that's not really a side quest that would be hilarious actually um but you know what i'm saying though like there are characters who are like wow Aloy, you really changed my life by telling me about wikipedia and like that part of it it is a fantasy like it is it does play to a specific kind of um intellectual fantasy that I think a lot of nerds and I'm talking about myself here have of like now if I could just explain very carefully to you you would understand why it doesn't make any sense for you to believe in x or y like climate change is real or whatever pick your poison you know like this this game is like you know if you're frustrated with anti-vaxxers or whatever you can play this game and it'll scratch a certain kind of itch there yeah there's definitely a there's a there's like an aspect of this game too that just echoes the sort of like false mythology around colonization yeah. right and you just can't get away from it the the like westward expansion as we teach these tribes the truth of the world because they're all so ignorant and like I would say that overall, like, the game's world and the reason for different people's ignorance is, like, justified by the fiction, mm-hmm. and it backs it up, but it's kind of there. It's like, I've been thinking about a way to describe that thing, like, that sort of discomfort, and to me, it's like, I, I would call it the weird smell in the restaurant, where you're at a <laughs> restaurant, and you're being served, and the food is good, and you're having a nice conversation, and the whole thing is fine, but there's kind of a weird smell, <laughs> and, like, sometimes you notice it, and you're like... Oh, what's that? And then you're like, oh, well, this food is good and it's fine. Uh-huh. And then you go back to eating and you're like, oh, these people are so great, but hmm, that's kind of a weird smell. And it's like a smell that will be differently distracting and troubling for different people. Yeah. Most of the time I'm like, whatever, I'm enjoying my food. Occasionally the weird smell in the restaurant is like more noticeable. And I'm like, this is like in the actual context in which this game and this story were written and created. This is a weird smell in a restaurant. Like this smells, this smells a little off. Yeah. And like the fact that as you explore more and more of the world, you learn how to hack into the machines and take them over. Like there's a very literal aspect of like hacking into the world and bending it to your will that the game rewards. And it makes that very satisfying. But you're also saving the world by removing the horrific climate change and like cleaning it up up and and the other piece of it and i i mean maybe this is where we like take a little break and talk about the act one thing but i'll keep it vague for now 
The game skirts some of those criticisms by introducing a secondary level of like white, what I would call white savior elitist big bads that are above even you in terms of like how elitist they <laughs> are so colonizers. that you can feel like they're the really bad ones so that you don't have to feel like Aloy is. I And that is a trick that works. And like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, all right, I really hate those guys. I'm here for it. Video game. I'm, I'm ready to hate these guys. Like you got me. <laughs> they're like the ultimate colonizers. Basically. It's like, Oh, you think Aloy's a colonist? Wait till you meet super colonists, you know? So, yeah, we'll talk about them in a second. And I, w- I do want to acknowledge that there are specifically to the um, Utaru yes. and their religion. They worship the robots. And, like, Aloy does have a whole storyline where she, like, comes to recognize That's that good. their religion is important to them in a way that matters beyond the cr- technical correctness or incorrectness or her knowledge. Right. And that is, like, an important side plot. You just really disappointed Richard Dawkins. <laughs> Yes, it's um. So that I, I do want to say that happens. <laughs> well, you like, made me happy because I'm still at the point of that storyline where I'm like, Aloy's being a little bit of a dick, and I want her to get her comeuppance. Which is a, I think, and it's just an important thing to keep in mind. Not and 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 also, I think it's okay that Aloy's a dick. I don't want people to think yes, I'm criticizing like, the game for this at all. Yes. I actually think that rules. Like she has a character. Arc. I think like, it's great to have, a, especially a female character who's allowed to have perceptible, invisible flaws, that owns. Yes. Like, thank God we're at this level now where Aloy can be a bit of a dick. Like, I love that, actually. And she can be, like, intelligent, but not always emotionally intelligent. And, and that also is not like, always right about things. And sometimes yes. she thinks she has all the information and isn't willing to listen to other people who have more. And Silence can also be a bit of a dick, and he's a really interesting character for that <laughs> Or reason. a lot of a dick. Silence <laughs> is a huge dick. <laughs> yeah. um, I love Silence. But, um, he's okay, so Lance Reddick. Mwah. Let's make a marker here. We're going to talk about the story illusion that we've all been kind of, or the story development that we've all been kind of alluding to. This is just a first act thing. We're not going to talk about the ending or anything, because... Maddie and Jason have, haven't even seen it. Yeah, I'm only 15 hours in. <laughs> but we're going to get into those specifics. So um, skip ahead. I'll, I'll leave a spot for me to say the timestamp for one more thing. But this is going to be just those kind of first act spoilers from here on out. And the timestamp for one more thing is 45 minutes and 25 seconds. And there's going to be a spoiler right after this. So I'm going to give you some extra time to skip ahead to 45.25. This is your extra time to avoid the spoiler. Okay, skip ahead if you want to miss it. Okay, the spoiler is coming now. Okay, so there's space people that show up. <laughs> <laughs> I liked this twist. I love this I did not expect twist. the spacecraft that you learn about to have actually managed to take off. I didn't even guess that. Nope, me neither. I was neither. completely surprised by it. And when you first meet those guys, I didn't think they were from space. My actual prediction of them, and I almost DM'd this to you, Kirk, because I was so certain of the prediction. Because mm. I was like, I'm just going to tell Kirk where I am, and here's how I'm going to describe it. <laughs> I was going to tell you that I had met people who had gotten access to Apollo, because that was what I assumed was true of them, mm-hmm. was that they were just regular Earth people and hadn't right. gone to space or I anything. I assumed that at first, too. They had I just that gotten it, access yeah. to Apollo, and that they had been developing incredible technology for the past however long in some sort of, you know, Bay Area elitist enclave. And, like, now they had six <laughs> shields startup. and, they like, got a bunch of VC funding. And, yeah, they had a startup. <laughs> and they also, like, hoarded all the technology for themselves. And right. now they had also created this clone or whatever. And they were using her. And I was like, oh, that's really fun. But then the secondary reveal I also thought was even better. The fact that they were yes. secretly from this other 
spacecraft and coming back. So to me, that reveal actually changes the nature, like the overall theme, at least as I read it of the story, because it isn't, I actually don't see them as like the worst colonizers. They're kind of portrayed that way at first, but the more you learn about them, the more it's like they left. Like they're the people, they're the rich people right now who are like seasteading. They're the Peter (laughs) Thiels of the world, the billionaires who are like, fuck this, these robots are going to kill everyone. Let's get out of here. You better bleep out that name so we don't get uh, sued. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, isn't he into seasteading? I think he would be the first to acknowledge. I think he would be flattered by the comparison based on these characters, Yeah, he'd be like, hell yeah, I'm just like those guys on the spaceship. He's like, yeah, I have an uh, impervious shield. Don't even try. (laughs) They're badasses. I I have no evidence of that. I think that that um, I think that that's really interesting because it stops being about like can we like expand west and like show like right. enlighten these people and it becomes about we all need to work together to like fix the planet. It's like a really unsubtle climate change story. It is, but yeah. When when your villains are people who've left, I actually kind of think that that's interesting or that's at least a little less familiar. It's. In the end, the theme is a, it's a very interesting theme about staying or leaving. And that winds up being this like big theme of the story that I, in a way that is actually really cool, just given that so many of us are like, oh my God, I want off of the earth. Like we're so fucked. And then in the end, we are all stuck here and we need to work together. And like, again, this is like TV show level stuff. It's like just kind of a fun, light story, really. But. I like that that's the sort of thematic underpinning of the whole story. And I, I think that that's cool and really like that they introduced something that was so surprising so early on that I was just like, oh, shit. OK, like so there's like way more going on in this story than I thought there was going to be. Mm-hmm. If anything, I wish it had come in a little earlier because I felt like the tease of like Aloy's parentage and like it, uh, Elizabeth Sobeck and stuff was introduced early enough in Horizon Zero Dawn that I was like, okay, I'm interested. I want to know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Whereas in this game, it really took me a while of being like, all right, how am I going to have to care about Aaron and just Aaron? Like, I can only talk I to like that guy so many times. <laughs> He's a little awkward. Like, yeah, I, but, but I he like does seem him. like a real guy. Well, so Jason, yeah. what did you think? Are you still not? You're further than I am, but you seem a little bit less charmed by the overall themes. Well, that's the. It's it's kind of what I was. Saying before where it's just like one too many plot threads because you'll be going in all these different areas so essentially the the um the crux the structure after this um and i don't know if it remains this way for the rest of the game but the structure at least for the up until where i'm at is you have to go and get these components so you have to go and get aether mm-hmm. and poseidon and demeter um, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, each of those is its own kind of little vignette. And then there are a couple interludes as you get back and stuff, but like for the most part, the game is, is throwing tons of different stories at you and you'll go these hours and hours breaks between like different parts of each story. So like, it'll be 10 hours before you hear from Angela Bassett again, or it'll be uh, like five hours before you even see one of the space dudes again. And they do have them come back like in some capacity, but like still, I mean, Carrie Ann Moss shows up in that one scene and I haven't seen her again. And I'm like 30 hours into the game and I've only seen her once. So like there's a, it's just throwing so much at you that I just had a hard time like gripping onto any one component. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'll I'll finish the game, and maybe my perspective on the story will change after that. But at least for now, it just feels very scattered to me. Mm-hmm. It's a big game. It's like a pacing thing, right? A pacing thing with open world games it's that tough, they can run yeah. into, especially a game this yeah. huge. I mean, the story is just very long on its own, and there's so much to do. Especially Kirk, when you've told me like a dozen times to do all the side quests, and I'm like, oh man, I have to do all the side quests. <laughs> yeah, what's up with Kirk? <laughs> well, you're kind of because the story is really this like almost a collection of 
short stories or novels or something like it. It really has this huge pace. Well, that's the thing. Well, that's kind of what I don't like about it. Yeah, well, I don't like that mm-hmm. as a collection. Because, like, I really just, like, I started doing one quest with one of the characters where I met her somewhere. And it was just like, let's go kill some robots. And I was just like, I forget who you are because I haven't seen you in 15 hours. And I just do not care what you're trying to have me do. And because of that, because you have this giant checklist of things to complete, it's just very hard, at least for me. Again, speaking personally, it was very hard for me to get invested in any of it. Right. Because mm-hmm. the way that I played this game was like, I was paying pretty close attention. By the way, it's surprising how much this story ties into the first game and how many characters oh, were yeah. in the first game. That part is a real challenge. And when people have asked me if they should play this, I've been like, honestly, it wouldn't hurt if you played the first game first, like on easy. There are recap videos. You don't have to at all, but I do feel like it helps emotionally because you're like, oh, sweet, it's Petra. Like, there's there's something to that. But anyway, I think go at on. the very least, people should watch a recap video, of which there are many. And they're great. I mean, that Mm -hmm. for sure. Like, you definitely want to know what's the deal with Hephaestus? What's the deal with Hades? Like, who are these people? But it's what I found in doing all of the side missions and errands and other things. It's that I there's actually a lot of sort of interesting interlocking script work going on where you'll have a conversation with someone. And if you finished the side quest for them or if you finished a related side quest to that area or they know somebody like there'll just be a line or two of dialogue about the person that they saw pass through as they like were leaving after you did the thing together. And then they'll show up later in like, you know, in another town and be like, hey, it's nice to see you. Like, let's chat for a second and you can just go talk to them and they'll sort of tell you what's happened since you helped them out. And it becomes this like really rich, complex tapestry of like characters all interacting like along this storyline. How do you remember them all? How do you remember them all? <laughs> they do a pretty good job of reminding you. And then there are some where I'm like, oh, I did, when, did I help you? But I don't know. I was just kind of, they're more memorable in this game than in the first game. They're not as memorable yeah, as like okay. the best so, Mass Effect characters, but far more so. In so this in the, at the beginning there of the game when you're in Meridian, I'm sorry, it's going to sound like I'm just like shitting on this game, but I'm really not. I really do like it. But like at the beginning of the game, you're at Meridian and it's like, here are all the characters from the first game that you remember and you have to say bye to. I was like, no idea who you are. No idea who you are. I just did not know a single person. <laughs> it feels very much like, I guess the best comparison would be like a big ass epic fantasy novel where you really have to just like sink into it. Like the first book of Game of Thrones without having ever read it before. Yeah, like if G.R.R. Martin ever finishes the next right. book, we're all going to be reading it and be no, like, wait, but like, And the then fuck? you have to remember, but it's like, it's you're just starting into it and you have to remember like 200 characters at once and like you can get really invested if you really take the time and immerse yourself in it the way that it sounds like you did, Kark. But if you're just not in the right headspace or if you're like, or if the pacing feels off because you spend so much time just hunting robot dinosaurs in between each chapter, (laughs) then you just kind of lose the thread. And that's kind of what happened with me. But the game rules. I really like it despite that. And I'm going to finish it. Yeah. Yeah. That opening section is definitely a little bit of, whoa, wait, who are you again? (laughs) Bing. Kirk from the future here. Just wanted to say that if you are playing the game and you're having this feeling, there's actually a pretty great thing in Aloy's notebook under the characters section where it explains who each character is just really briefly. And it can be very helpful if you're forgetting some of who's who. Okay, back to the show. Bing! Even on its own terms as a sequel of this story, I do, you know, I don't know. It is, it's like reading a book with a lot of characters, like a big Mm -hmm. thick ass fantasy book with a lot of stuff going on where 
yeah, when you pay when you pay attention and really remember, okay, wait, Aomir and Aowen and and Erdrin <laughs> is the emperor of this place. Okay, but they have like a different and lineage. And you flip to the beginning of the book, and there's like a family tree and like right. a little map and stuff. And but this and this and I'm exaggerating. This is not that complicated. It's like someone will be like, oh, like I needed your help to find my brother who was trying to like find his calling in the wilds and was killed. And then later he'll be like, well, we buried my brother, and I'm so glad you know I'm following in his footsteps and I'm going to become a musician. And you're like, okay, I remember that guy. Like, it was the musician's brother. Like, I don't know. Like, it's not that hard to keep track of Well, of, of course, it. you would remember that. You're like, oh, I'm a musician too. Hey, nice. Yes, that's the only reason I remember it. <laughs> that's the only side quest Kirk remembers yeah. at all, uh-huh. actually. He doesn't, he's just been making it up. For the Kirk, do you stuff. play games and just look for the musicians the whole time? And you're just yeah. like, oh, hey, That's, that's my thing. I'm like, where, bored, bored. Where's the musician? It's the only way he can get immersed is if you play an instrument in the game. That would actually be sick if you played an instrument uh-huh. in this game. Well, there could be a hunting horn this game does have yeah. a little bit of monster hunter next DNA. one horizon three so yeah. there, there's a lot more to say about this game i think at some point we're going to do a beans <laughs> yes. cast because i'm assuming the two of you will probably finish yeah we're going to beat it so it might not be for a little bit because it's a jason very long won't game. remember any of the story but i will it's true <laughs> I will. jason will be like here's a story of a dinosaur i fought and then he'll talk about that <laughs> hey there's some of those dinosaur fights are friggin' epic sagas on their own oh, no, yeah. i do remember oh, it's yeah. funny maddie i do remember like that that bat fight that i talked about yet last week i remember that and like vividly better than any story in the game. <laughs> all right well um we'll come back to it um at that point somewhere down the yes, road i'm excited i'm excited to finish it i should say yeah it's a great game i really do like it and i hope you both finish it um but all right let's take a break and then we'll be back for one more thing hi i'm janet varney and just like you i survived high school and we're not alone On my podcast, The JV Club, I invite some of my friends to share the highs and lows of their teen years, like moments with Aisha Tyler. But when you're a kid, the stakes are just pretty low. Go to school, try not to get in trouble, get laid. Jamila Jamil. I watched television probably every waking hour during that time when I was shit-faced on medicine. And Dave Holmes. We talked and talked, and then everybody left. It was just us two, and I was like, I love you. Learn how you too can be a functioning adult after the drama and heartbreak of high school. Every week on the JV Club with Janet Varney. Find it on Maximum Fun. Or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a judgment-free show. We have wasted this world. Our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable. But beneath the surface, well, that's another story entirely. In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek, what else? Fortune and glory. Dive into the Ether Sea, the latest campaign from the Adventure Zone, every other Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back for one more thing yet again. Jason and I have decided to double up our one more things, which means that Maddie gets to have her own one. And really, I mean, Maddie is also, yet again, Maddie has also played the one more thing. I know, I know. I get to just coast. I get to coast on you, too. It's a weird yeah. mode. And I'm the only one making a real recommendation. Just kidding. You guys are, too. That's true. And actually, and your one more thing is what my one more thing was going to be if my one more thing wasn't what it is. Did mm-hmm. everyone follow that? 
<laughs> riveting stuff over here. I like less than half of you, half as much We're as you deserve. We're all watching you playing the same things. Just like some characters in my One More Thing. Uh, so I watched all of Peacemaker season one. It is a DC Comics extended universe. What do they call it? The DC EU? I, I don't know. I think that might be what they call it. I don't know. I Listen, here's the thing about the DCU. It's weird. There's a lot of weird stuff in there. I'm Kinda real excited like that about, about that Robert Pattinson Batman movie. I'm yeah. real pumped about it. Hell I yeah. love how weird it is. It is so not oversaturated in the way that Marvel has yep. become. And I say that as a huge Marvel fan. People know I've read a lot of Marvel comics and I still do. And I'm not really a DC person so much. I like some, but I don't know, Peacemaker. I had to look up his lore on the internet. I didn't know anything about this guy. And I enjoyed the heck out of this this show. Really enjoyed the Suicide Squad, which is where this character was introduced. He's played by John Cena, who I'm also a big fan of, like as a person. I think he's a cool guy. I really like, like him. him. He seems like a cool guy. He also personally advocated to make Peacemaker a bisexual character. So that's another extra bonus win in my book. Um, he That was his decision. Not core to the character in the comics. Uh, but it is on the show. So this is a show. It's made by James Gunn, who has a very distinctive style. <laughs> and I feel like DC just let James Gunn do James Gunn stuff. And I think that's really sweet as well. Peacemaker is not a character who's super well known even for the DC stands. And the villains in this show are basically like an alien race that's like the Borg. They like take over people's brains. They're I, I guess I won't spoil how they do it, but well, it's horrifying. They're not a collective, though. They're each individual. <laughs> no, actors, they're not. So you're they're right. not like they the are, board They in do that way. each have individual emotions, although at first it doesn't necessarily seem that way. It seems yeah. as though they're all aliens working together to like create pod people, essentially. And yeah, they're kind of like classic alien invasion. Yeah, story. which is pretty scary, actually, because at least in this show, once somebody's taken over by an alien. They are gone. They're dead. They, there's no coming yeah, back. Yeah, it's like Starro. Very Starro. Yeah, in yeah. Suicide um, Squad. And so the stakes are very high, but this is also a comedy because it's a James Gunn show. And I just, I don't know. I feel like I'm not always into James Gunn, but John Cena is so good as Peacemaker and good at making him just seem like a guy, like just a regular guy who also has superpowers and like had this terrifying upbringing. His dad is a literal white supremacist, like no bones about it. His right. dad is a Nazi, a neo-Nazi. And Peacemaker's backstory in the comics, I looked this up, his dad was also a white supremacist, although they combined that character in the comics with a different white supremacist character to kind of just, just combine all the white supremacists into one really, really scary dad <laughs> for Peacemaker to have as his adversarial dad. And so, yeah, this is a father-son story. So I guess it's shocking that I'm recommending it. But I don't know. I really, really liked it. And I don't, I don't know why. It's just something about John Cena's pure undiluted charisma as he's fighting these aliens and there's a great ensemble cast of other characters but a lot of it is entirely John Cena's shoulders he carries a lot of the gravitas and also the comedy of this show and I think he's really rad but you liked it too Kirk what did you think yeah I loved it um, Emily and I both loved it this was like an unexpected winner in our house um, and yeah. I agree with you about the weirdness of the DC universe just as Marvel has become so slick and sort of it's not even predictable yeah, it's and just so everything yeah. connects to everything and it's all part of the same world and DC is like I don't know maybe this is canon don't you never know what it. you're gonna get and like <laughs> this show is so fun totally agree Cena is good because he can play vulnerable he's just 
As far as like yep. beefcake ridiculous actors go, we also just recently watched Reacher, which actually was surprisingly good um, wow. on yeah. Amazon and also stars a like big chunky dude. Like there's kind of a new like the 80s style Schwarzenegger kind of actor that's kind of back in. Which is very much like there's a lot of 80s vibes and like hair metal glam. Like that is John Cena's character's lo- true love in, in Peacemaker. And I think it works. That sort of um, like feminized mas- masculinity is what he's worshiping. Yes. This. And there's a lot. And that's like made text in the story. Yes. So just I really liked it as well and think he's great. And it's your one more thing. So I'll just really quickly say, I think Freddie Stroma, who plays Vigilante, is like oh my God. shockingly great. Like it's he's a so great, great character as like essentially a sociopath. But he like is a, a sociopath. Great, like, I mean, canonically yes, like, and canonically. hilarious. Yes. And hilarious. There's a character named Vigilante. Yes. Oh, his superhero name. His superhero name is Vigilante. He's almost like Deadpool, but it, it's, it's like, like if Deadpool were a real guy and like how fucking scary that would be. Right. If and you like, like met a... a guy who was anything like that, you would hate him and be like, Shut like an edgier up, Deadpool dude. that wasn't trying so hard. That just sounds like uh, Rorschach and Watchmen. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> no. But also, Vigilante feels like a guy who would be really into Rorschach. <laughs> like, yes. He, he would just, just think like he was guy. cool in a very uncomplicated <laughs> way. He's just a very uncomplicated guy who likes killing people. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. he's really good. And then the, this, the eagle is incredible. His eagle is like the greatest part of the whole show. Oh my god, <laughs> like, I'm obsessed with the eagle. I want to do some research on that eagle, like the effects that they I don't did know to how they did it to look so good. Like this eagle, I love the eagle. Like the eagle yes. is a full blown character. It is a literal eagle, except it's not. It's like defo a puppet. I don't know how they did it. I don't I'm either. Obsessed with that eagle. I There's love some it. CG, some puppetry. Emily describes it as what if? Imagine he had the best dog ever, but instead of a dog, it was an eagle, <laughs> and that's great. And then the opening credit sequence and the song that plays, it's just incredible. It's like my favorite opening credits ever. Emily, I've been learning the dances. The dance moves are this like mix of like power lifting like weight lifting poses and like hand motion and like pelvic thrust and it's this rigid thing and the whole cast dances and it's one of the best credit sequences ever and it gets us so pumped for the show it anyways the it's such a good show i Everyone loved it should i try it. it it's really yeah. funny and good um yeah anyway what what have, anyway. What have you guys got <laughs> so, so all of us have been playing elden ring too and yeah, let's just think have. of this as we're going to just give some quick impressions because we don't have a lot of time. And this is a tease for the next two weeks, really. Next week, we're going to be talking about open world games. I thought you were going to say the next two months. <laughs> kind of. I mean, like, so we're going to be talking open world games next week, which is going to be all three of these games we've just played, synthesizing them. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Elden Ring then. And then in two weeks, we're going to do our triple play after we've all played a lot because this is a huge game. There's so much stuff in it. But yeah, we've all played different amounts. We're all playing early press copies. Jesus, this game rules, and I don't know. Like, I almost, I want to play it, not talk about it. Uh, Jason, go ahead. This, you kick <laughs> yeah, us off. Jason's played the most out of the three of us. Yeah. yeah, I've played like 40 hours in the past week and a half. Yeah. And, wow. Uh, it is astonishingly good. It's it really good. Of, <laughs> it is it's one of cool the best game. games I've ever played. I, I'll kind of, I almost want to just leave it at that. I wrote a Bloomberg article that'll be yeah. linked, uh, that I can link in the show notes. But um, yeah, I mean, this game is just like everything, like, it's rare for a game to get this much hype and then live up to the hype somehow. But this game has done it, and it's just like, it's it's my favorite of, of the From Software games I've played by far. It's like, it's it feels like they've taken, it's the first game I've seen that has really taken the Breath of the Wild formula and almost like improved it, like iterated on it and done some really cool things that Breath of the Wild doesn't do. And then mm-hmm. you combine that with like <laughs> like Souls caliber, Bloodborne caliber level design and combat design. And, and it's comedy. just like, holy shit. Yeah, and comedy <laughs> and, and comedy. like weirdness. Um, yeah. Like you'll be, you'll, you'll, 
like get into these i almost i don't want to give it any examples but like yeah, they yeah, went into yeah. these like surreal encounters and yeah. hilarious traps and hilarious moments it's just, like and bizarre dialogue where you're like that happens around esoteric here thing. Okay. yeah i found that I, I was worried okay so this game because it's so much more accessible than previous souls games like there's, there's a, a tutorial a map and, and it fast actually travel. makes sense well yeah. there are always tutorials but like this has like mm. like you can set waypoints <laughs> on a map and like fast travel and like yeah like, there's so much stuff that you is like built to help the player um so so I was kind of worried that it wouldn't be as like esoteric but of course then I like stumble upon this place and it's a locked door and you go outside the door and you check the note and it just says seek three wise beasts that's a good and one it's like, yeah I did yep, that that's this is a souls game for right. sure yeah. Yeah. um so people who like um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm not the most hardcore Souls players, but I think people who are like worried that it'll be too accessible and dumbed down, I think will not be disappointed. <laughs> oh, no. I just love it to death. I mean, we'll we'll get more into this once people have a chance to play it. But like for now, if you're on the fence and if you're wondering, like uh, you want you want to know, should you check this game out? It will probably be the best thing you play this year. It is certainly one of my like. Oh my god, it's it feels like an all time great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. It, um, I mean, it's definitely a from game still, and I think it's not. It doesn't have the kind of broad appeal that Breath of the Wild does. Like, it's not a physics based climbing, like platforming game. No, I'm not going to have my wife play this game. No. Yeah, but it's as as from games go, it's kind of a like the ur text of of from. Like, it's so many things feel familiar if you've played their games. But to me, at least, the huge thing has been that there's an open world connecting it all. So. You just have this great release valve where it can be very tense and it can be that kind of intense experience of like, oh, God, I'm so far into this level and I don't know how I'm going to backtrack and I am like out of health flasks and oh I just really don't want to die and have to come all this way again and that kind of excitement. And then you kind of maybe you finally make it to the next to the next checkpoint and then you're like, all right, well, I'm going to go into this huge open world and just like look around and find stuff for a few hours and then come back and like having that ability is just amazing like it's like i like from bosses and there are some great bosses so far but the bosses are always my least favorite part because they can feel like you're kind of gated and you're like stuck and you have to beat them where i love the exploration and this game is like okay well let's just totally have so much exploration that you can always go do in between boss fights and that to me alone is just like incredible and yeah we'll talk a lot more especially about the open world next week and i'm just excited to talk to more people about this game and i'm just excited to play more of it i'm like so hooked on it at this point yeah it's pretty awesome i've been texting with so many people and it's just like like once in a while like i'll just be texting with people and i'll be like whoa i kind of am i going crazy or like is this one of the best games i've ever played and people will just be like yeah like yeah <laughs> yeah it is it's funny it's you really just need good. a little confirmation yeah i i was saying this to you guys before the record started but i feel like this game is definitely for people who played 10 hours of various FromSoft games and never beat them and just want one <laughs> It's not easier. It's more just that it guides you a little more at the beginning. Like the tutorial makes a lot of sense. I say this as someone who has been playing Dark Souls 1 and that game super doesn't hold your hand like ever and doesn't tell you where to go at all. Not that Elden Ring necessarily does, but there are some things about it that are just so quality of life compared to Dark Souls 1. Like the fact that you can fast travel and like basically kill mobs wherever you want to collect ruins, which is this version of Souls. You don't you don't get to collect as many souls like per kill in this game. That's part of how they make it a little trickier. But the fact that it's easier to grind helps in my view. You can just fast travel to a merchant. You have a freaking horse. It's way easier to run away if you want to run away from stuff when you have a horse. Like those aspects of the game 
I again, I wouldn't say it makes it easier because the bosses are going to be hard no matter what, and there's no way around that really, except for there is because you can always co-op with people. Right. In which case, then I did, and it ruled. NPCs. <laughs> yeah. I and so I, I I do kind of feel like this game yeah. has mastered or sort of refined a lot of the things that make a Souls game a Souls game or a FromSoft game a FromSoft game, while introducing just quality of life open world shit like i feel like dark souls one is an open world game it just doesn't have any of the quality of life stuff that open world games normally have so it just feels like well i gotta run all the way back to the freaking blacksmith mm-hmm. because my shield is broken now and like i don't have to do that in Elden ring it the owns. fast travel <laughs> is really just such a oh, and it's that it's specifically great. that you can just pop open your map and just fast travel from any point yes. if you're not yes. in combat it's great mm-hmm. we'll definitely talk about it more next week um until then though that's it. We, we did our episode. There's more video games to play. And uh, I'll see both of you next week. See you both next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.